Thank you for listening to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast, located here in Pasco, Washington, where lives are still being changed for Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy it. Praise God. Good to see you guys tonight. Hallelujah. Did you bring your Bibles? Amen. Let's open our Bibles this evening to the book of Mark, chapter 6. One, I want to thank your pastor, um, Pastor Jerry, for um, the opportunity to come and minister the gospel um, tonight. And also, I want to thank the surrounding, uh, not thank, but thank um, the surrounding churches, the Spokane Church, the Coeur d'Alene Church, Yakima. Um, all of these um, great friendships over time um, we've built through ministry. You you build these friendships that last forever, you know, and you appreciate as you see them um, when you come and um, visit where you used to live. My wife and I, we, we moved here in 2017 um, from Honduras, San Pedro Sula. We, were, we lived here close to three years. I believe it was two and a half to three years. Um, and just really fell in love with um, the Northwest um everything that it involves except the snow we don't like the snow that much <laughs> um we're born and raised in houston texas so we saw snow for the first time when we moved um to washington so praise god good to see you guys mark chapter 6 verses 1 through 6 there's a dog who fell into a farmer's well after assessing the situation um ended up falling the farmer decided his owner that neither the dog nor the well was worth the bother of saving. So he'd bury the old dog. That was his <laughs> in the well and put him out of his misery. When the farmer began shoveling the dirt down the well, initially the dog was frantic. But as the dirt hit his back, the dog realized every time dirt landed on his back, he could shake it off and step on top of the dirt. So he began to shake it off, step up, shake it off step up he repeated to himself i'm just going to shake it off and i'm going to step up and no matter how painful the blows were of that dirt the old dog kept shaking the dirt off and stepping it up and it wasn't long before the dog battered and exhausted stepped triumphantly over the wall of the well what seemed as though it was going to actually bury him and cause his death actually benefited him all because of the way he was able to handle rejection. Beloved, tonight, how we handle our past and present rejection has the potential to bless us or actually bury us. We'll have to learn how to shake off the spirit of rejection and live a life of freedom that God has granted us. But it's all based on how you view it, how you handle the things in life. Mark chapter 6, we're going to read the story of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the way he handled um, rejection. And pardon me if you hear my sniff oz, <laughs> just allergies just really um, are getting to me, but it's okay. I don't have COVID tonight, amen? Mark chapter 6, verse 1, it says, He went away and there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, 
the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to him, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed him. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. I want to preach a sermon tonight that I've entitled Reject Rejection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity that you have given us, God. God, to be called your church, your people, to be here under your presence, God. Father, I rebuke any distraction. God, I rebuke any spirit of rejection upon people here tonight, God. God, and what I pray is liberality. God, I pray you will touch minds and you will touch hearts, Father. I trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. And the people of God said tonight, Amen. Amen. I want to start off with my first thought, and that is the spirit of rejection. I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to understand this. Rejection is a spirit. It's more than just being excluded from gatherings. It's more than just words speaking or spoken against you. It's more than just an attack on your emotions. A spirit of rejection many times works along fear. It creates an inner voice that tells the individual that they are unworthy, unlovable, that they are inferior to everybody else around them. You see this at work many times in the house of God in church when somebody comes into the house of God and they've been excluded from other religions or excluded by their own family members or even other Past churches, they'll come to the house of God and they'll feel inferior because somebody else is wearing a nicer tie. See, hell. Hell will use rejection to create strongholds in a person's mind. This is how the enemy creates a false belief system in an individual. They begin to develop a false identity and live life filtered through this false identity. This is just who I am. This is what my dad has called me for years. This is what my mom said about me. Because rejection is spiritual. It transcends generations. You know, rejection can be passed down to a child in the mother's womb. And there's an interesting thing to think about. It transcends biology. The very science that we've studied and we know it transcends it because it's spiritual. See, rejection can be contagious many times and it creates cliques, it creates these moments, and, or not moments, but groups of people, not only in church, but in organizations. How many of you guys remember cliques in school? You had the jocks, you had the, um, the people who played uh, um, the band geeks, but then you also had the emo, the, re the rejects, if you will. It can create a toxic culture in people. This is why many times you see many families act the same way and speak the same way because it's generational curses. It's spiritual. It gets passed down. You know, the spirit of rejection is an oppressive spirit. It robs you of joy. It robs you of peace. This word oppression, by definition, is mental pressure or distress. Therefore, if the spirit of rejection is an oppressive spirit, you can think of it as a tactic by the enemy to push or press you down into the moods or emotions that block you from experiencing God. 
blocks you from the freedom and the presence of God's love in your life. We'll speak about this later. But one of the things you have to understand that the world can reject you, but God still has a plan for you. And we'll speak about this later in the sermon that your identity is not linked to what your neighbor says about you. And I hope your neighbor says something good about you this, this evening. It's not linked to any other human being but the fact that God died on the cross for you. See, rejection produces fruit in your life. Fruit that begins to work against you. It's this fabricated identity. This victim mentality. You see this many times in, in, in bullies. They try to be tough and bring other people down when all reality they have emotional wounds from past and present rejections. It's an open door that allows hell to use our attributes and members against us. I read this article on rejection. It says rejection can drive a person to perfectionism, become nitpicky and critical of others, and result in a self-rejection. It's a no-win situation because a person suffering from rejection develops negative behaviors to try to compensate for feeling rejected. Begins to change the way you act. Begins to change the way you react to other people. It goes on in the article. It says people with the spirit of rejection may also feel prone to acting out in other attention-getting behaviors. Look for flattery or other forms of praise because they feel those things somehow validate their ability to feel accepted and normal. They feel driven to overcompensate for their inner voices. That tell them that they're an outsider or unwanted or rejected or unable to find acceptance in the places that they feel are important. This is critical, beloved, because it begins to affect your relationship with God. It begins to affect how you deal with people, how you view the house of God, how you view the people of God. It even transcends into marriage. You see this many times whenever you and your spouse or family members or uh, marriages fight. They'll say a comment. It's like, oh, I know what you meant with that. Well, no, I just, just want to remind you to put the seat down. <laughs> that's, like, that's really, that's all I'm saying. Think about this for a minute. Pastor Wayman Mitchell used to say this. He said, people with the spirit of rejection will always take correction as rejection. See, it begins to transcend into the spiritual. People with a spirit of rejection many times will look at their pastor or a leader as someone who is against them. He's just nitpicking me. He just always has something against me. You know, rebellion many times is the fruit of rejection. Is this is this spirit that's hazing, or if you will, it begins to just haze the mind. It begins to twist what people think. I'll move on to my second thought, and that is rejection is an attack on identity. We see in our scripture that even our Savior had to process rejection. He goes to his hometown and brings what is the gospel. That not only saves, but heals and restores. He begins to pray for the sick. We read it. It says in verse 1, it says, He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogues. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are much, such mighty works done by his hand? Is not this the carpenter? Think about the way they're viewing him. 
Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Don't we know his family? And are not his sisters with us? That's what they're saying. And they took offense at him. Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives in his own household. You know, many people at this moment would have allowed this rejection to become personal. And you know what's trippy about this is that it was very personal. They look at the Savior. Here it is, Jesus Christ. He comes back. He's bringing the gospel, preaching, teaching people, healing people. There's a, already some type of reputation following him. He has disciples, fruit, validation, and all they can view is, don't we know this man? We know his sisters. We know his mother. His dad was a carpenter or whatever the case was. There was always something that they can view on him. Jesus processed this rejection and thank god we see the way he processed it because he processed it with a heavenly perspective he viewed them not as enemies but the bible says they he marveled at their unbelief and then moved on see that's the hard part it's moving on i wish i had one friend tonight i <laughs> said so, pastor i know exactly what you're talking about you know how it is they talk about your mama you ain't going to talk about mine. You know, and there's always, you have to process these things. Offense. Many times it's personal. You know, my wife and I, we lived a year and a half in Honduras. We pastor there um, in the city of San Pedro Sula. And when we took over that church, there was this rejection upon us. The people began to just reject our ministry, reject who we were. And then they began to attack us personally. Called me fat. <laughs> Said I was short, said I had big ears. And you, can, you can go on with all the, the rejection and all the offense. Somewhere I had to process that. I remember talking to my pastor, Pastor Rosario, and I said, Pastor, can I defend myself? Can I please just tell him what I think just this one time? Can I, can I just, just let me use the pulpit just once. But I remember he said this comment. He made this comment. He said, you know what? He said, your ministry will speak for itself. He said, God will give you opportunities where you can love them. I want to tell you, beloved, listen, church, by the end, by the time we left that church, those people loved us. And it happened because we were able to process rejection with the perspective that God helps us with. He views them not as enemies, but he says he marveled at their unbelief and moved on. You know, this is the same mindset at the cross where he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. Maybe you guys know that's rejection. I'm doing a Sunday school in our church. It's called social. Uh, it's called justice versus social injustice. And I'm bringing down, you know, the, you know, the Bible says in the book of Psalms that justice is the foundation of the throne of God. So honestly, we can't even say justice without taking God out the picture. We need God to say it. And one of the things that we made, I made a comment to the church. I said the greatest social injustice in this world was Jesus on the cross. Amen. It was Jesus on the cross. Here it is. God in heaven sends his only begotten son to come and die for everybody, preaching the gospel. Bible says he doesn't come for the well, but he comes for the sick, those that are lame. He comes and begins to love people, and they nail him to the cross. He had to process that. In other words, somewhere he needed to not let it become personal to him. He did not allow people's words and actions to take root in his heart. 
And I know this is easier said than done tonight. Because rejection can feel very personal. But there is not a rejection that was not assisted with ignorance. I want you to remember that. There's not a rejection that was not assisted with ignorance. When they reject you, they're ignorant to the fact that God loves you. And that your identity is based on what God says about you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, God loves you. Just remind them. Because this is something that's incredible to understand. And I know that sounded corny and maybe a little religious, but it's whatever, you know. But the truth is this, is that when you're going through life and everybody else is saying things about you, you must remember, you know what, God. God has a different identity for me. You know, the reason of rejecting Jesus was a personal attack against his earthly identity. We see that the, that the way they criticized Jesus was through attacking his identity. They spoke against his profession. Isn't that just, isn't, isn't he just a carpenter? Isn't he just an electrician? Doesn't he just work at a warehouse? Doesn't he just, you know, it was this attack on his profession. They spoke against his family. We know, we know his family. Just another kid off the block. You know, if you're not careful, rejection will cause self-hatred. And self-hatred is straight from hell. You can begin to believe the lies spoken by people and many times inspired by hell. Maybe they are right. Maybe I shouldn't be doing anything for God. You know, the truth is, is that not many people are going to understand your commitment to God. Have you guys ever experienced that from your family, maybe? You know, you were, you were lost in your sin, you were drunk, maybe you are addicted to drugs, whatever it was. You know, and they were like, man, you, you need to find a church, you need to do something with your life. And then you find Jesus. And then you start coming to church Wednesday night, you start coming to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, you start outreaching Saturdays. And then they're like, you know what, you're doing this too much. This rejection, you're going to feel it. Do what Jesus is saying, he says, you'll feel it. He says, out, he says you're, you're going to have it even in your hometown. If there's anywhere, I mean, think about the logic. If there's anywhere that could, they could accept that Jesus should have been in his hometown. But no, they look at him different. So I want to close with my third point. I want to pray for some people tonight. Because I believe that God is speaking to somebody here tonight. Maybe you're dealing with rejection. You have this spirit of rejection that's caused a victim mentality. That you view things different when your pastor, your leader, an older sister in the faith, an older brother begins to correct you in life. You view it as, you know what, he has something against me. That's from hell. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. There should be a place where your pastor, you should love correction. That your pastor can point some things out. That your, that your sister, your brother can say, you know what, that's wrong. Let me help you. A third point tonight is rejecting rejection. We need to correct a mistaken identity. See, Jesus was able to overcome this rejection because he knew who he was and the place that he had in the kingdom. You know, your identity tonight is linked to God and God alone. You're not what the world says, but you are who God says you are. You are important in the kingdom of God regardless of what the world says. You could have lost your place in this world. You could have been rejected by all kinds of people, your family. You might be here tonight and you have a background that people won't even hire you tonight. McDonald's rejected you. But tonight there is a place in the kingdom of God for you. There is a destiny that God has given you. You are important in the kingdom of God. You have a place 
in the kingdom of God. This is the whole story of Mephibosheth. Where it is, here it is, King David. He says, is there anybody else in this house? And everybody says, no, there's nobody else. Well, there's a guy, there's a kid right here. He says, he's Jonathan's sons, but he's lame in his feet. And Jesus says, I'll make room. God says, I'll make room in my table for him. That's what King David says, right? That's the heart of God. The heart of our father. That somewhere, you know what, that God can receive. It doesn't matter who you are. There's a place for you in the kingdom of God. That's why I love our church. That's why I love our fellowship. Here it is, common men. Just regular old people can do great things for God. You have a place in the kingdom of God. There is a part in heaven that has your name on it. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's for you tonight. There's a place in this church that has your name on it. No. At some point. I know we're Americans tonight. But at some point we have to learn to be content with what God has given us. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 and 6 says, Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It's a good question. It's a good question when your identity is linked to God. I wonder if Jesus said that to himself. Whenever they were saying, you know what, is he, he's just a carpenter. When they said, you know, we know his mother. I wonder if he said that to himself when he was getting nailed on the cross. What can man do to me? Touch my life. They can touch my body, but they can't touch my soul. See, God has you exactly where he wants you. And he will change things when he needs to. We serve a mighty God. We serve the God that's omnipotent, that's omnipresent, he's benevolent. This means he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with however he wants to, with whoever he wants to. It's a God that we serve. So we're going to have to learn how to handle this rejection. Because Jesus tells us, he says, you're going to have to go through it. Because they hated me, so you're, they're going to hate you. So I want to give you some practical steps here tonight. One is walking according to the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit there's no condemnation beloved no condemnation no one can say or do anything to you when you belong to God anything that goes your way has to first go through the hands of God you know those that are not saved miss out on that listen tonight if you're not saved you need to get saved you need to give your life to Jesus and in, in a hurry you guys know life is short. There's this benefit to serving God is that somewhere it doesn't matter what man says. I preached a sermon on trusting. And I spoke about trusting God. And I said, you know what? When you trust God, there is this, um, there's this, this powerful element that somewhere man can't. It doesn't matter what man does to you. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter. Think about this. Here it is in the book of Psalms. King David, he says, better it is to find refuge in the Lord than to trust man. 
We speaking out of experience. Here it is, his king. Here it is, his man and armor bearer for his king being pursued by the very one that he thinks is the man that he can trust. His own king, King Saul. And somewhere in his mind, he learns, I can find refuge in God, even if I'm rejected by man. We see in our scripture that Jesus, what he did is that he just moved on. So I want to give you just a little bit more practical ways to reject rejection. One is run with those who run with you. We see in our scripture that Jesus moved on to other villages and then taught his disciples how to handle rejection. Mark chapter 6 verse 7 to 13 says, And he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Check this out. Verse 10, he says this. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from them. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. I wonder. I wonder if Jesus, in verse 10, when he's talking to his disciples, his mind is going back to that experience in his hometown. I wonder if he's telling his disciples that he loves with that spirit, with that heart. He's like, hey, people are going to reject you. In verse 11, and if, and if any place will not receive you, then, then, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust. Verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. Not only did he process rejection correctly for himself, but he taught his disciples how to do it. I want to make a statement tonight, and I want you to remember this. That is that not everybody will support you. I want you, I want you to remember that, okay? Because this, this is what happens. I see it many times. New converts will come. They'll get right with God. They'll get excited. They're going to do something for God. And Man, I found this church. I love it. Pastors, pastor preaches well. And, you know, people love me. The coffee's good over there. You know, I mean, they, you, you got all kinds of things. Then you go back to your house and you tell your wife or you tell somebody and they're like, so? So what, you're going to start tithing now? I mean, in, the, in all these different, listen, not everybody will support you. You have to run with those who will assist you as you pursue God. Number two, is you, you have to declare spiritual warfare on yourself. Spiritual warfare is too many times mistaken as fighting hell exclusively. And I tell you, listen, one of the biggest enemies you're going to have is yourself. Many times it involves fighting your flesh. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Every Sunday morning when your alarm sounds, you got to fight your flesh. I got to go to church. Then your flesh wants to stay. Pillow feels good. There will always be tendencies to take things personal. I want you to remember that. There will always be tendencies to take things personal. Why did he say that to me? Why did he say it to anybody else? You know, when I was in, in high school, I played soccer. And my coach used to scream at me the most. At least that's what it felt like. <laughs> and one time I questioned it. One time I said, you know, why do you scream at me so much? He said, coach, you know, and we're, we're talking about in 2010, at least just a few years ago, okay? Um, coaches can still cuss at, at, their, at their students, and it wasn't this crime, okay? <laughs> they can still raise their voice. They can, they, it was, it was um, we still lived in America, amen, okay? <laughs> but I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> so I asked him, I said, why do you scream at me so much? 
And he said, he, he, this is what he told me, and I'll never forget it. He said, the moment I stop screaming at you is the moment I stop caring. Think about that. Later on in life, whenever my pastor began to correct me about things, I had to remember, I remember that. I remember, it's like, you know, my pastor's telling me that because he loves me. My brother told me that because he cares about me. There will always be tendencies to take things personal. I wonder what if Jesus would have said, you know, you think I'm a carpenter, but my father in heaven can kill you right now. <laughs> Who would have said that? What if Jesus wouldn't have said, God, forgive them for they don't know what they do? What if he would have just called lightning from heaven to hit them? <laughs> Could he have done it? Yeah. What if he would have actually processed that personally and said, no, you're not going to talk about me that way. You don't know who I am. You know, it's our responsibility to deal with our emotions. This is true when it comes down to generational curses. You know what's interesting? I was um, I actually said this in a in a sermon a few weeks ago. Um, where I was um, where I was asking my pastor about generational curses, um, and one of the things you see in this um, in generational curses is rape and violation. Um, it's just an incredible thing. And I heard um, my pastor said that well, Pastor Mitchell one time he asked this woman this, and take this for what it is, but I believe this is very true and it is very spiritual. He asked this woman that was involved in rape, he says, have you repented for your part in it? That makes absolutely no sense to me when he said that. I was like, what do you mean her part in it? It's like, it, it was against her will. It was against, he's like, yeah, but you still partake in this. And this is, this is the revelation right here. Is that at the end of the day, regardless of what people have done in your life, it could be very legit. It could be a, a huge violation like rape. A huge violation like somebody backstabbing you or adultery. At the end of the day, it is your heart. It's your mind. Can I tell you tonight, listen, you're not a victim of your mind. You can take control of this and say, I am not going to deal with that. I will give that to God and God, yes, they did wrong. Because you can read the scripture. They did wrong rejecting Jesus. But Jesus just processes the way God calls us to. My last one is pursue God. Shaking rejection off is our responsibility to initiate. The truth is that deep-seated rejection needs the help of God for healing. So we must seek Him for help. Forgiveness, faith, prayer, praise, and hope are some of the biblical ways to shake it off and step out of the wells in which we find ourselves. I wonder tonight if you're here and you say, Pastor, I know exactly what you're talking about. You say, you know what, I live in this well of rejection. I'm dealing with it right now. I struggle to accept correction. I struggle when somebody tells me something wrong about myself. Maybe you're here tonight and you, and somewhere you, you thought that coming into this church, you weren't worthy of it. For some reason, you thought, you know what, why do I even go to church? And listen, I'm not standing up here saying I know all the answers. That's not what I'm saying tonight. But what I am saying is that we serve a God that has all the answers. And if you're dealing with the spirit of rejection tonight, you can find deliverance right here, right now. You can come to God and say, God, you know what? I find this. This is spiritual. I see it. I've seen it in my mother. I've seen it in my father. I've seen it in my siblings. I've seen it in my friends. God, I need you to deal with it right now. You can come and leave it to God. You weren't designed to carry these things. Your identity is linked to God and what God says about you. 
And I get every head bowed and every eye turned. You've just listened to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast located here in Pasco, Washington. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you come back for more.